happy Resurrection Sunday. Come on, give the Lord another shout. Today is one of the most important celebrations of the year when we celebrate the triumph of Jesus Christ, our Savior, over the curse of sin and over death and hell and the grave and what it means for you and for me. Hallelujah. Cleansing from sin. Victory in our lives. Eternal life. Come on, church. Come on, give the Lord a praise. We celebrate the resurrection power of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. So good to have everybody here today in the house. Are you glad to be in the house worshiping the Lord today? Yes? want to welcome you. If you are new to the Mission Church, God bless you. My name is Greg Johnson. I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor, and you are welcome. If you are joining us at Mission Church Online, God bless you. It is good to have you with us as well. Amen. Well, just go ahead and give somebody a little fist bump before you're seated. Tell somebody happy Resurrection Day, happy Easter. You can go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. A little over a year ago, I had the opportunity to, uh, my wife and I, to visit Israel with uh, some folks from our church. And uh, when, when I returned from that trip, everybody was asking me, what was your favorite, what was your favorite part, you know, of going there to Israel? Well, I'll tell you, it wasn't Bethlehem. It wasn't Nazareth. Um, it wasn't even the Dead Sea Scrolls. It wasn't the Lake of Galilee. It wasn't the Temple Mount. It wasn't even the Wailing Wall. Because none of that matters if not for one spectacular, magnificent event. The tomb is empty. The grave is defeated. Jesus rose from the dead. That was my favorite part, the empty tomb. Hallelujah. You know, there are 4,200 religions in the world, but there is only one that has an empty tomb. Come on, Mission Church. <laughs> only one has an empty tomb, and it, there, there's no tomb that contains his body. There's no shrine to where we we can go. There's, there's no monument that marks his grave. There's no mausoleum that holds his bones. We worship the risen Christ who has raised from the grave triumphant. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate his victory and through him, our victory, and we shout his praise and we await his return because Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? He's coming again. Amen. That's what we're here to celebrate, our risen Savior. And we are not uh, like those who, uh, who follow cunningly devised fables. We are a people who believe, as Pastor Keith mentioned, in the Bible as the Word of God. And that's where we get the truth that God has given us, from the Scriptures. And so this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, and we're going to look into the scriptures that tell us about Jesus Christ and about his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Luke chapter 23, verse 44, we come to the scene 
of Jesus who has been on the cross. And it says in Luke 23, 44, that it was now about noon. The darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what had took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was the preparation day. The Sabbath was about to begin. The woman who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Now we go to the next chapter, Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, Sunday morning, everybody say Sunday morning, the the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men, whom we know were not just mere men, but they were what? They were angels in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, The women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men, the angels, said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Come on, say it with me. He is not here. He has risen. I think you need to just give the Lord another shout right now. And then the angel said, remember, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Now, if you've been with us for uh, the past few months, you know that we have, since Christmas, we've been studying the life of Jesus, and we come now to the most important event of Jesus' life. In fact, it is the most important event in the history of mankind, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, Sunday, 
last week of Jesus' time, we learned that on that previous Sunday, he had entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. It was called the triumphal entry. On Monday, after that, he went into the temple, drove the money changers out, and cleansed the temple. On Tuesday, he continued to teach about his coming death. On Wednesday, Judas went to the council, the Sanhedrin, to conspire to betray Jesus. On Thursday afternoon into the evening, Jesus had the Passover feast with his disciples. And then late Thursday night and into Friday morning, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed with his disciples overnight. And then early, very early Friday morning, while it was still dark, Jesus was arrested in the garden. He was falsely accused And he went through three mock trials between Herod and Pilate. By 9 a.m. Friday morning, Jesus would be nailed to the cross. And by 3 p.m. Friday afternoon, Jesus would be dead. Our text today centers on the events after 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon. Jesus is dead. His lifeless body is on the cross. And we are introduced to a man named Joseph of Arimathea. And I want to talk for a few moments about this individual, Joseph. Because there's something in how he responded to the crucified Christ hanging on the cross that shows us, I believe, shows us something about ourselves. So let's go back to the Scriptures, chapter 23, verse 50. It says that uh, Joseph, this man, was a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. So it says that Joseph was a member of, of the council, meaning the council of the Sanhedrin. And we talked about this last week. The Sanhedrin was the highest religious authority in uh, Judea. And it consisted of the priests, some priests, and some scribes, and some elders. And they were considered like the supreme court of, of, of Israel. And the Sanhedrin hated Jesus. They despised Jesus. Now, Joseph was a member of this council. And this council conspired with Judas to betray Christ. But Joseph, it says, did not agree with them and he did not consent to their decision. In other words, while everyone around Joseph had rejected Jesus had disregarded all of the claims of Jesus and wanted Jesus gone, Joseph was not so willing to just go along with the crowd. He wasn't willing to just go along with all of his friends and all of his co-workers and all of his colleagues because Joseph was able to see things differently. He didn't get caught up in the crowd. Joseph realized that there was something special, something true, something authentic and genuine about this Jesus. And so Joseph would not be so quick to just disregard him. But this is exactly how Jesus said, how Jesus predicted that the world would respond to him. 
Jesus basically said that the world would be divided into two kinds of people, the many and the few. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, we see a statement from him where he said there would be the few who would follow him and there would be the many who would not. Look at what he said in Matthew chapter 7 when he was teaching his disciples. He said this, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and few, there are few who find it. Did you get that? Jesus is talking here. And he says most people will choose the broad gate, the wide gate, and few people will choose the narrow gate, the very small gate. Now what does that mean? Well, when you take that and you, and you interpret that with other statements that Jesus made, you'll understand that Jesus said of himself, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. In fact, in the book of Acts, it says, there is only one name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus Christ. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, there is one God, and there is one mediator between man and God, the man, Jesus Christ. So what was Jesus saying here? Jesus was saying that He is that narrow way. That He is that only access point that mankind has to Father God. Only Jesus is the way. And He says there's going to be few people that choose that. That's what He said. Because most people will choose the broad way. Most people will say, well, you have your beliefs and I, I have mine. That may be your truth, but that's not, that's not my truth. Most people will say, oh, you know, there's all kinds of religions and faiths out there, and, and it doesn't matter which one you choose as long as you're sincere because, you know, all those religions are just different paths leading up the same mountain, and they'll all get you to God, right? That's what most people say. They say, oh, I don't, I don't, need, I don't need Jesus. I have my own, my own beliefs. And most people will, will approach eternal things like they approach um, a lunch buffet. How many have ever been to a buffet? How many like going to a buffet, right? You know? You go to a buffet, and what is I mean, there's just all these choices out there, and you can look at it and you can say, oh, yeah, I want some of that. I like some of that. I don't want any of that. And, I want some. and so a buffet gives us the opportunity to pick and choose what we want, and we can put on our plate those things right, that are most in alignment with our tastes. And this is how most people approach the matter of faith. They look out in the world and they say, oh, you know what, I'm going to pick and choose from all of the different faiths of the world and come up with my own belief system. 
And so here's what they do. They look out there and they say, oh, yeah, there's, there's, I'll take some of that God is love doctrine. Yeah, I'll take some. Oh, I'll take some, I'll take some forgiveness. Yeah, that looks good. I'll take some blessing. Oh, definitely. And okay, yeah, maybe a little reincarnation. Yeah, some people come back as snails. I can, I can handle that. And yeah, you know, maybe I'll take, I'll take a little karma. Sure, a little karma. And so we take all of these little belief systems and we pick and choose what both, what best fits our paradigm, and we just kind of make up our own little faith, right? And then there are things that we just don't want on our plate. I don't want any of that Bible stuff. Certainly don't want any of that sin. Don't, don't talk to me about, about sin and about, you know, the judgment of God. And certainly I don't want any of that hell stuff, not in my faith. I don't want any of that. I want everyone to go to heaven, right? And so what do you hear people say? Oh, that, not my Jesus. My Jesus, Right? That's not my God, right? Because what have we done? We've recreated faith in our own image. We've recreated God in our own image, making ourselves bigger than God. Right? That's what's happened. And this is the common view of so many. They have this broad view, this wide view, this all-inclusive view of every religious belief that everybody ever wants to have. And they disregard... Everything that Jesus taught, and they disregard everything that Jesus lived for and died for, and they make up their own belief system so they can do whatever they want. But the few, the few take Jesus very seriously, and the things that, they ta- that he taught, and they regard his teachings with respect. Joseph was that kind of a person. Joseph was a very sober-minded individual. He was not just living for himself in the here and now. Joseph was the kind of person that thought about eternal things. He was the kind of person that thought about spiritual things and wanted to know truth. In fact, it says in verse 51, it says that he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. This was a man who believed in God. This was a man who believed that there is life after death. And he didn't fully understand who Jesus was, and he didn't fully understand what Jesus' life was all about. But he knew that Jesus is not someone that you just cast aside and forget about. That there's something about Jesus that you cannot just disregard and step over. So in verse 52, it says that Joseph went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. Notice the care that Joseph has towards the body of Jesus. Notice the respect. Notice the reverence. Notice the concern. Totally different from the rest of his friends. Totally different from all of his colleagues and co-workers on the council. They had no interest in trying to understand who Jesus really was. You see, The Sanhedrin, they had their power, they had their wealth, they had their popularity, and all they cared about was preserving the lives that they had built for themselves. And Jesus was a threat to their lives. 
Jesus was a threat to their popularity. Jesus undermined everything that they stood for. And Jesus would only get in the way of the lifestyles that they had chosen for themselves. The careers they had established. The plans they had for their own family. But Joseph was different. Sure, he had a, he had a career. He was even successful. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. But more than that, greater than that, Joseph wanted to know the truth. He wanted to know truth. And there was something about this Jesus that could not be ignored. So he went to Pilate. He said, give me this Jesus who was crucified on the cross. And he went to the cross. He took the body down, wrapped it up with great care, and laid it in, in, not just in any tomb, he laid it, the Bible says, in his own tomb. In fact, in Matthew 27, verse 60, it says that Joseph laid it in his new tomb. What does that tell us? It tells us that Joseph was a man who understood that one day he was going to need a tomb. He was a very sober-minded individual, very aware of eternal things, and he knew that there was a life beyond this life, so much so that he thought, I need to prepare myself for that day when I will depart this world and go into a tomb. He had purchased himself a tomb, made provision, which he had hewn out of the rock, so he put Jesus' body in there, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Now realize, for a member of the Sanhedrin, people who were responsible for killing Jesus, this would not be a popular thing to do, which is why Joseph was doing it alone. And it's no different today. Many people today are just like the Sanhedrin, not in that they're religious, but that they are quick to throw Jesus away. That they are quick to just nail him to a cross. They are quick. They have no interest in knowing who Jesus is. Like the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin, Jesus is a threat. A threat to their lifestyles, a threat to their lusts, a threat to their pursuits and their pleasures. And we just want to get rid of Jesus and get him out of our lives. Don't even want to talk about him. Don't even want to acknowledge him, right? And if you would be so bold, so audacious to even consider the possibility that Jesus is someone to be taken seriously, to even consider following him, chances are you would be mocked, you would be marginalized, and like Joseph, you would find yourself all alone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I remember when um, I first came to the Lord. I was not raised in a home that, that really taught me the truth of, of the Scriptures and the faith the, the way that I know it now. And, um, and I remember as a young man coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody remember when that happened? When you, you Remember that you came under the conviction where it was like you couldn't escape certain thoughts. It was like you were just always, it was like in your heart. There was just something burning in your heart that was pulling at you and, and digging at you. How many remember that? 
That's the precious drawing power of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord was, was working on me. And I, I didn't understand who Jesus was. I didn't understand what the Bible said. So, so I would go to my friends. I mean, you know, my friends were partying out in the world, doing our thing. And I would, I would say to them, and I'm under conviction, you know, and I'd say to them, I'd say, hey, what do, you, what do you guys think about the Bible? Have you guys ever read anything in the Bible? Or what about, what do you think about, do you believe in God? You know, what about Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus, you know? And as soon as I would bring up anything like that to the people in the world, I mean, how do you think they would react to that? Right? <laughs> it's, are you kidding me? What, are you getting all religious on us? What, are you going to be a, a Jesus freak? Come on, all that Bible, Je that stuff is all nonsense. That's what I would hear. It's all nonsense. But is it? Is it really? Is it really all nonsense? Is it nonsense? That 2.5 billion people in the world today worship Jesus Christ. Is it nonsense that 30% of, of the world's population are gathering today on Easter Sunday morning to lift their hands and shout their praises to their risen Savior? Is that nonsense? I mean, is it nonsense that the Bible is and has always been the number one bestseller of the world? Is that nonsense? Is it nonsense that the Bible is the most circulated, most translated, most studied, most revered book ever known in the history of mankind? Is it nonsense that every day we acknowledge the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ every time we tell the time or we mark the date? What's today? April 4, 2021. 2021 what? 2021 years since the birth of whom? Jesus Christ. Is it nonsense that time itself has been split in half around the advent of his existence? Is that nonsense? Is it nonsense that there are historians and scholars and archaeologists who have gone on record to affirm that the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is are historical facts? I'm telling you that it is not nonsense. It is not nonsense that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is Lord. But to even consider that, especially in today's climate, will bring you under fire. It will. But Joseph, he didn't care. And you know what? I didn't care. And neither should you. Because in eternity, listen to this, in eternity, none of your friends matter. None of your co-workers are going to be there holding your hand. Amen? In fact, they're going to find themselves in the same place that you are. And only one thing is going to matter. Only one thing. What did you do with the one who was nailed to the cross? Did you cast him aside? Did you walk by shaking your head, rolling your eyes? Or did you take hold of him like Joseph? Here's what I want us to see about Joseph of Arimathea. When he put that body of Jesus in his tomb, he made space for a miracle. He didn't fully understand who Jesus was. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But he knew, I cannot just leave Jesus on the cross and walk away. 
He knew this Jesus, I don't understand it all, but this Jesus deserves my full attention. He, deser- he deserves my, my careful attention. And so Joseph Arimathea took hold of him who had been crucified on the cross. And when he opened the tomb of his life to him who had been crucified on the cross, God worked a miracle in the dead space of his life and brought forth resurrection power. And this is what God does. You may not fully understand who Jesus is and what he's all about, but if you will allow space for Jesus in your life, if you will allow Christ to come into your tomb, into those places of death and darkness and defeat and misery and bondage, if you will allow Jesus to step into your tomb, he will bring resurrection life. I want you to look around you. Look around you to all, all of the people in this room that are here. Go ahead, just look around. Go ahead, just move your head around a little bit, right? Understand something. We were, or most of us, we were all not in a tomb. We were the tomb. The tomb was a picture of our lives. And when we brought him who was crucified into our lives, into our tombs, our tombs were transformed into living testimonies of the grace and the love and the power and the majesty of our God. I could go up and down these aisles. I could, I could let people tell the story of the tombs of their lives, and you would hear people say things like, I, I was an alcoholic for, for 20 years, and I, and I couldn't get free, but when I took hold of him who died on the cross and brought him into the tomb of my life, I've never been the same. That's what you would hear. You would hear someone say, I was an angry, abusive man. I tortured my wife. I abused my kids, but when Jesus came into the dead spaces of my life, when I invited him who was crucified to come in and be a part of my death, he transformed who I was and now I am a new creation hallelujah the old man is dead and the new is alive you would hear people say I was addicted to porn I was depressed and in pain and I was stuck on pain-killing drugs I was an absent father I was a successful businessman but as a failure as a dad I was a failure You would hear these stories. You would hear these testimonies. I was an abused child that grew into an insecure, angry, hostile, miserable person. My life was a tomb. But when I got a hold of him who died on the cross and I brought him into my life, my life has been turned upside down. And Jesus is my joy. Jesus is my hope. Jesus is my strength. Jesus is my victory. The stories in this room are unending. The stories of our tombs and how Jesus turned our tombs into testimonies. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that like Joseph of Arimathea, you didn't just walk past that cross never paying mind to Jesus. Aren't you glad that you took hold of Him who had been crucified and you brought Him in to the dead places of your life? Does anybody know what I'm talking about here today? Amen? See, this is... The gospel. That's what we call the gospel. The word gospel means good news. That's what it means. Good news. See, the reason why Jesus came in the first place is because we were separated from God. Every one of us, born in sin, separated from, born separated from God. It's called the curse of sin. 
ever since the Garden of Eden. We've all been born sinners. And God is holy and just, and He cannot have relationship. He cannot have fellowship with sinners. That's bad news for us, for for all of us, right? Because the holy God must judge and punish the crimes committed against His perfection. Right? That's bad news for all of us who die without knowing the forgiveness of our sins. We will stand before a holy God. In fact, in Hebrews 9.27, it says, It is appointed unto man once to die. Joseph knew this. That's why he had a tomb prepared for himself. He knew this. He was sober-minded in this reality. It says, "Is according unto man, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Every one of us has an appointment with God. And we will stand before God guilty in our sin. That's the bad, bad news. The good news, the good news is that God is not only just, God is loving. Hallelujah. He's a loving God. And as a loving God, He does not want to punish anyone. But the conflict here is that he's holy and he cannot just pretend away our sins. Our sins must be dealt with. And that's where Jesus comes into the story. Jesus Christ, God the Son, second person of the Trinity, born as a man, lived as a man, identified with mankind, so that on the cross he would become a representative of mankind and that God would lay our sins, Father God would lay our sins upon him and he would be punished in our place. He took the punishment that we deserved. He died the death that we should have died. He satisfied the wrath and the justice of God on the cross. Willingly. He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down willingly. That's the love of God. So we have the justice of God that must judge sin. And then we have the love of God that willingly died in our place. The Bible says they took his body, put it in the tomb three days later. Everybody say three days later. Three days later, the most important, the greatest, most significant event in the history of mankind. You take any other historical event, nothing compares to what happened on that day when Jesus rose from the dead. It changed everything for mankind. Because now God offers to each of us the gift of forgiveness of sins only through Jesus. Again, it goes back to the narrow way and the broad way. There's only one way for our sins to be forgiven. It's not Buddha. Buddha didn't die on the cross. It's not Muhammad. He didn't go to any cross. None of those Dalai Lamas, none of them went to a cross. Amen? Amen. Only Jesus. Only Jesus took our punishment on himself and suffered the wrath of God for us in our place and died our death. And now, after he has ascended to heaven, offers to each of us the gift of eternal life. But here's the thing. We must accept that gift. Let me ask the worship team to join me up here, please. Worship team. It's a gift. That's what the Bible says. The wage of sin, Romans says, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And Jesus, or the Bible said about this gift in John, it says that to many as received him, to them he gave the right to be sons and daughters of God. There must be a point in our life, like Joseph of Arimathea, where we look to the cross and we say, Jesus, I believe that on that cross, you were taking my sins upon yourself. I believe, Jesus, on that cross, you died in my place. So Jesus... I want you to come into my life. I want you to come into the tomb of my life. The death and the darkness that has been caused by sin, come into my life 
and be my Lord and be my Savior and resurrect me into newness of life in relationship with God. There has to be that step of faith, of receiving the gift. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. We're going to close the service in just a moment here. But before we do that, I want to lead us in a prayer for anyone here today. Anyone here, you have never received this forgiveness of sins and this gift of eternal life. You've never received it. Today, you want to take Jesus into your life and receive the gift that he offers by faith. Let's bow our heads. Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, the power of your Holy Spirit, just permeate this room, that you would just saturate this room. Holy Spirit, come. Move up and down these aisles and in throughout these rows of chairs and just begin to deal with hearts. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give ears to hear. Give ears to hear. Give eyes to see, Lord God. Penetrate our hearts Lord, with the reality of the risen Savior. And I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ, that in this moment right now, Lord, they would say, yes, yes, Jesus, come in, come into my life. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Just a very private moment right now. I just want to know if there's anyone here who's going to say, yeah, you know what, Pastor? I'm going to pray this prayer right here in my, in my, in my seat. I'm going to pray this prayer. I want to receive Jesus Christ into my life. If that's you, I want you to slip your hand. Just slip your hand and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. I'm, I'm, I need to receive Jesus into my life right now. Say yes. A couple of hands, a couple of hands. All right. A couple of hands. Those of you who raised your hands and those, maybe you're not sure. You don't really know who Jesus is. You know what? Take a step of faith. Joseph of Arimathea didn't know who he was either. Just say, Jesus, if you're real, come into my life and show me. And he will. He will. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus Christ, God the Son, died on the cross for me. And I believe that he rose from the dead on the third day. Now, Lord Jesus, come into my life, cleanse my sin, and give me new life. Be my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that's just a beginning point right there. It's not one and done. That's a beginning point now where you enter in relationship with Jesus and now you've got to get into a church and, and learn the Word of God and discover who Jesus is and grow in your faith and become a follower, become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Come on, lift up a hand to the Lord right now and just, and just say thank you, Lord, for your incredible grace. Thank you, Lord, for your power in my life. Come on, both hands up. Come on, let's take a moment right now. Both hands lifted up to worship our risen King, our Savior, our Lord Jesus. You're worthy.